On this episode of the Popcorn Diet, we're doing a speed round of recent new releases and also taking the red pill to see just how far the rabbit hole goes again. That's right. We saw The Matrix Resurrections and a bunch of other movies. Get your popcorn ready. After all these years, to be going back to where it all started. Back to The Matrix. Welcome all you good movie buddies to the Popcorn Diet, a podcast for those who live on a steady diet of movie theater, popcorn, and other delicious movie snacks. As always, my name is Rick Williamson, your very best good movie buddy, and joining us as usual is our other good movie buddy, the Canadian Machine, Mr. David Melhorn. David, it's the final week of the year. How are you doing today? You know, I I, I would like to say I'm going to miss 2021, but no. Not really. Nobody. But Not I'm doing soul. great. You know, that being said, as unfun as 2021 has been at times, yes. I've had a, had a, it's been a good year. The boys keep getting older and bigger and crazier. And so my life continues to get crazier. Uh, but, you know, we had a full year of movies, which was nice. And uh, yeah, so I'm doing well. I'm, I'm ready for 2022. So as long as it's not 2022, the sequel. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, who knows, man, who knows? We're just going into it as best we can, you know, once more into the breach, dear friends, just, just flying blind, wondering what one month like look like, you know, after the next, but as you said, we did get, you know, we were touch and go there for a little bit. There are a couple moments where it's like, well, all right, I, what, you know, what's, what's coming up next? Are we, are we delaying movies again? You know, we got, you know, speaking of, you know, one of the major topics today, John wick chapter four got delayed almost an entire year from next year into 2023. And so I'm like, my entire body is tensed up wondering and waiting when we're <laughs> going to start getting more of those announcements. Man, uh, that's surprising. You're usually such a glass half full kind of guy, right? I'm usually just there's no anxiety over here ever about anything. No existential dread at all about how the world is working. But, you know, uh, we all have our moments, right? And that's OK. It's OK that we all have our moments. You know, it's funny. Speaking of all of the movies that have come out this year, one of the benefits of the holiday season is that there's been a lot of movies to watch whether they be on the screen or at home. And you and I have kind of, we didn't really plan to do this, but we both each caught a couple of the newer releases that were out. And even though the matrix obviously is going to be the main focus of what we want to talk about here, I wanted to spend maybe the next, I don't know, 10 minutes or so just kind of mowing through the different movies that we saw. I know I saw, being the Ricardos and Encanto being the Ricardos, obviously on Amazon prime right now, you can watch it if you have Amazon prime and Encanto is on Disney plus. And then what you saw 
couple of the other animated movies, right? I think. Uh, yeah, we did uh, some some movies with the kids. So I saw Ron's Gone Wrong. We watched that on Disney Plus. There you go. At home. And then I took them to the theater to see Sing 2 uh, a couple days ago. So saw those two animated movies. And then you and I caught The King's Man. Yeah. Uh, just a couple days ago. Yeah, so we've been we've been busy. We've been taking advantage of those streaming services and uh, and and going through them. And we'll give I, I think we'll just give a brief couple minutes on each movie, you know, where where there can be said oftentimes for a couple of these movies. I think we, we probably could have done entire episodes on them. Um, but, you know, like David said, he's got three kids and I have the my own existential dread to deal with. So <laughs> it is what it is. But I'll start with being the Ricardos, which obviously is very interesting to both of us. We have Aaron Sorkin writing and directing once again. And this is a story about Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. And it's not really a full biopic from like beginning to end. It's really centered around one, the making of one episode of Lucy. And then it has all types of weird storytelling decisions that if you like Aaron Sorkin, I think you'll really like this movie. This movie is all of Aaron Sorkin's uh, uh, habits and and techniques on display. Um, at the same time, maybe a different director could have said like, well, we're, we're going to use maybe only a couple of these storytelling techniques versus all of them. So, for example, there are numerous flashbacks to different scenes about like when Lucy and Desi met one another or flashbacks to um, an entire uh, subplot about Lucy being pregnant on television. And then there are these fake documentary style interviews with characters who are in the regular story being played by older actors as if they're being interviewed for some fake documentary. There are, huge speeches that managed to solve all the world's problems with a speech, which is just not the way resolutions happen or the world works in general. And for as great as the cast does for as great as Nicole Kidman is, she's very good in this movie. And same thing with Javier Bardem, uh, Ali Shawkat, JK Simmons is incredible in this movie. Um, I never really bought them as Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. I never really bought them as these famous people. I bought them as a, a married husband and wife entertainment couple. Like I bought that, but I didn't buy them as Lucy and Ricky or Desi. Cause you don't really see, cause we know them as Lucy and Ricky. We know them as their television counterparts. And so if like, if you're cool watching Lucille ball act like a stone cold bitch for like a, a whole movie, you go for it. Like it's, I enjoyed it. Like as, as all of the, for all of the Aaron Sorkinisms and all of the nitpicking at like, it's not a very good Lucy and Desi movie, but it's also like it's Aaron Sorkin. So if you like his dialogue, if you like his style of writing, I think you'll like it. So are we giving popcorn ratings? We should probably give popcorn ratings, right? Yeah, but it sounds like it was a good movie, just not maybe a good Lucille Ball biopic. Yeah, it's it, it's a good movie. I again, I enjoyed the dialogue. It is not for everybody. If you go in, I mean, even my mom shouts out to Cindy Williamson, big fan, big friend of the podcast. 
she said she made it like 40 minutes in and turned it off because it's not Lucy and Ricky, you know? So your mileage may vary on this. And that's why I'm probably like, I enjoyed it as a, like a movie theater popcorn. I would give it a, a pretty, pretty light movie theater popcorn. But I do think it is a, one of the picture perfect definitions of microwave popcorn. Like your mileage may vary based on where you're coming in from from you know from the story and your relationship to the characters so but being the ricardos it's an oscar caliber film it's about hollywood which means hollywood will love it which means it's probably going to pick up a couple of oscar nominations it's on amazon prime you could do worse than watch some of the greatest storytellers of our time tell like an okay story you could do a lot worse i'll piggyback i'll I'll ping pong it to you we'll ping pong it to you for uh ron's gone wrong all right, so I watched Ron's Gone Wrong, and say that five times fast. Right, it's a uh, animated movie, obviously. Um, some big names in it. You got uh, Zach Galifianakis, you got Ed Helms, Olivia Coleman, uh, Rob Delaney. Uh, you got, I think, I think the lead, the voice sounded familiar. I think he's the kid who was in Luca too. Uh, it's uh, Jack Dylan. I think it's Jack Dylan Grazer from It. That's right from. Yeah. But he's also the voice of Alberto and Luca. Yes. So because I was like, wait a second, I just saw this person. I just heard this voice in another animated movie <laughs> this year. So um, so good cast, obviously cast a good cast in an animated film that, that isn't necessarily essential, but um, some definitely some voices that you'll recognize. Uh, definitely had a lot of kind of Mitchell's versus the machines vibes from the standpoint of you could tell there was some some commentary on, you know, kind of social norms and kind of where we are as a society. Uh, obviously, the the plot itself is around Ron, who's this little uh, what they call B-bot in the movie. Um, and basically everybody in the world has B-bots these days. And they're kind of these built in companions and friends and all that kind of stuff. And and Ron is kind of a defective version of that. But I really enjoyed it. You know, I watched it with the kids at night. Um, you know, it's funny. It's got some good laughs. It, it, it does. I don't think it's as good as Mitchell's versus the machines, but it's definitely kind of in that category for me. Like I, I enjoyed my time with it. I would gladly rewatch it. It's got enough good laughs in it um, and fun moments throughout it. Maybe a touch long. That's one of the things I was going to bring up. Like, I was looking at movies the other night when Allie and I had a, a free night uh, to ourselves and we were trying to figure out what we wanted to do after dinner. So it was like 730 and I was looking at movies and like every movie was like two and a half hours long. That's out right now. Like Kingsman is almost two and a half hours. West movies Side are, Story movies two are and a half long. hours. Movies like, are long right now. I'm for it, but like they are. They're long. But like it, when it's 730 at night, if you know, the next showing's at eight or eight 30. You, the other dynamic you have is there's like 20 to 30 minutes of previews. So like whatever time it's listed at, you have to figure you're getting out three hours after that time. So, so anyways, getting back to Ron Gons wrong, a uh, <laughs> lot of funny, uh, good moments. Um, Zach Galifianakis is great as, as Ron. And there's a, a good dynamic in that. And it's a fun story. Um, that evolves throughout it. So I enjoyed it. I think it's a solid movie theater popcorn for me, uh, you know, from an animated film, it doesn't feel like, you know, 
a bunch of stories that you've already gone through. So it was nice from that standpoint um, and that it had a little bit different uh, dynamic from that standpoint, but I, I enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. So the one of the, I mean, I think one of the smart things that di- you call it Disney, you can call it anybody, but like one of the smart things that studios often do during this time of year is they put out a bunch of family films, put out a bunch of family entertainment. Obviously the two movies that you saw independently are film family films. They just recently put Encanto on Disney plus for anybody to watch who has Disney plus. And I mean, I, jumped on it. I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. I'll watch it on Disney plus for somebody who, who didn't necessarily go see it in a movie theater, who doesn't necessarily have a family to go take, to go see it in a movie theater. It worked out really well for me to go see it. And I loved Encanto very much. It's funny. Um, it definitely hit me differently than it hit other people. Like my sister saw it and she said she wasn't nearly as affected by it as she, as I was. I, it's already been discussed on this podcast, how like I am just an emotional, like, I don't even like, I'm just an emotional. I don't know what the word is emotional. I'm just emotional lately. I cry at everything. Every movie finds a way to, 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 to wring a tear out of me. Encanto was no different. Encanto is a story uh, about a magical family in the middle of the South American jungle, whose magical house has bestowed upon each family member, different, you know, superpowers you know one sister is super strong one sister has the ability to create you know flowers and 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 stuff uh one family member has the ability to shape shift you know one family member has the ability to heal with their cooking so literally like all different types of superpowers or magical powers for lack of a better word that the town that has grown around that magical house has learned to like depend upon And it follows the main character of Mirabelle who was not bestowed magical powers and who keeps having these visions of the house crumbling and things like that. And it is feature. It features music from Lin-Manuel Miranda. It is a very Latin American focused film. Obviously the, the title, the voice actors, everybody involved, uh, the writing, uh, even the co-director are deeply, deeply ingrained in Latin American culture. And so that's like a like as somebody who isn't, you know, ingrained in Latin American culture in, in many ways, uh, almost every way. Like it was really great. It's a it's a really bright, really vibrant film that also deals with things like. Generational pressure and, you know, generational trauma and the way that, you know, And this is something I've been learning about personally over the past couple of years in my own counseling and my own therapy and things like that is the way that generational trauma affects the generations after it. The things that your parents went through or your grandparents went through or so on and so on and so on. Those find ways into your lives. They find ways through them, even though they've never intended to do so. And there's that is a big part of this movie, which is probably why it affected me so much. But the songs are amazing. There's one song um, called Surface Pressure uh, that is all about how Louisa, the strong sister, is basically how she is dealing with all of this pressure of like, I'm the strong one. I have to handle it. I have to lift it. I have to shoulder all the burden. And it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't hurt that it slaps. Like the song itself 
is dope. Like it has been on repeat in my house for a while. Um, it's obviously, you know, your mileage may vary. I guess with movies, your mileage may vary with every single movie. I love this movie. I think if you're looking for a family movie, if you're looking for a really solid animated film with that magical realism that you're used to in Disney and things like that, Encanto is the place to go. Really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the voice work, the main characters, the design, everything in it. It's really funny. It's really weird. Um, I'm going to give it, I'm not going to give it perfect popcorn because there are other animated films they have loved more, but I'll give it movie theater popcorn and, and a Coke. I'll give it movie theater popcorn and a soda. I think it's definitely something that there's no reason for you not to watch it. It's on Disney plus right now. Check it out. Uh, you caught another musical. Did you not another animated musical thing too? So uh, obviously the sequel to the first thing, uh, which follows pretty much the same cast. You get some additions uh, within there. Um, but basically you pick up where you left off with uh, with these characters performing in their theater. But we get some additions. We get uh, Bono as Ooh. Clay Calloway, who's this kind of like recluse singer who was a big name and disappeared after his wife passed away. Um, and then you also get basically red shore which is like their version of vegas introduced into this and it's basically like you know all these characters going to that next level uh but i mean let's be honest at the end of the day this is just <laughs> another opportunity to have basically some more pop songs redone in in the movie form yep. the 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 movie itself I mean, I'm sure someone could debate me on on the depth of it, but it didn't feel like anything necessarily all that original from like a storyline perspective. Um, and there's so many songs in it that it feels like, you know, it's more about like finding ways to inject as many songs into this movie as possible. While, you know, there are some funny moments and, and you know, listen, the music and the idea of like, building a show in Vegas obviously appeals to me with the, my love of Vegas. Um, but yeah, it just felt like in a lot of ways, like this was an example of one of those movies that I know we don't technically need any movie, but this one felt really unnecessary in the sense that, you know, it didn't really any do anything crazy or exciting from a story perspective. It just injected a bunch of new songs you know, had some fun moments, that kind of stuff. But uh, so for me, this movie was was three in a soda. Okay. Uh, so microwave popcorn in a soda. I can't give it movie theater popcorn. It's fine. Um, my kids enjoyed it. Um, but I don't think it's anything that I care to revisit. Um, I'll, I'll preface it by saying, too, like I probably have the same feeling towards the first thing. Like it felt like you know, turning American Idol into an animated movie in a, in a lot of forms. Exactly. And so using the same, you know, things that make American Idol compelling and and draws viewers and that kind of stuff were just put into a movie form in essence. And so except we changed it to animals and and had, you know, some other storylines behind it. But yeah, so I mean, there's worse ways to spend a couple hours. Uh, if you have kids, they'll enjoy it because the movie you know, it is catchy. There's some funny moments and things like that. But, you know, if, if you're an adult and, uh, 
I think there's a lot of other movies that I'd catch in front of it, but it's uh, it's not bad. It reminds me of um, my counter argument to Bohemian Rhapsody, which I, I did not enjoy as a film. And people <laughs> would be like, oh, I really like that movie. And I would ask them, did you really like the movie or did you really like the music in the movie? Because <laughs> it's undoubtedly amazing music and undoubtedly like, Putting a putting a movie like that together is like putting together a mixtape. Like you, you find the hits, you find the movie, the songs that you think are gonna not only be effective to the story, obviously, and probably have some type of thematic resonance, but also movies that are gonna get people to pay attention and stuff. So, uh, yeah, sing too. Um, last movie we saw, we saw in the movie theater was The Kingsman, and uh, I'm just happy that we have three Kingsman movies. Like I just think that. <laughs> Like we, we, we hear, and listen, did it make a ton of money this weekend against Spider-Man and sing Two? like, no, it didn't make a ton of money, but you know, we hear about this all the time where like, you know, all oh, the only types of movies that are going to exist are the superhero sequels or the big sequels or whatever. And the fact that we have three Kingsman movies that are like these just kind of tight little action movies that have really great sequences in them and, you know, this movie had had no reason to have like the, as creative of action sequences as it does. But it, it does like this movie has a silent knife fight amongst like a five on five silent knife fight in the trenches of World War One. I. I was like, this is dope. Like it's World War One. It's terrible. And obviously terrible things are happening. But the staging of it is incredible. Uh, how did you like going back to the Kingsman once more? I enjoyed it. I've enjoyed all of the movies. I think Matthew Vaughn has a very, you know, distinct style to him um, and his movies. And I think I've enjoyed, you know, I said this after the movie when you and I saw it, you know, there's a little bit of, uh, you know, Tarantino from the standpoint of doing kind of like this revisionist history or like uh-huh. going back to kind of historical type of events um, and just, telling the history of that event in a different way. And obviously with the first two Kingsman movies, we were not, you know, kind of back in time. This was our first no. time kind of going back in time. And this was a prequel to those movies and how, you know, the Kingsman originated. It was an origin story in, in essence. And so um, obviously a little bit different, um, you know, storyline or plot line versus the first two, which were more like, I would say along the lines of like a bond movie where, right. you know, kind of, you've got this larger than life villain trying to destroy the world in some form. And then you've got kind of, you know, the, the agents or the, the heroes that are going against them. Whereas this one was more of like going back into time and showing how we got to that point that there was this organization. And so I was, uh, I enjoyed the movie. It, it felt maybe a little long, which <laughs> again, is kind of the theme of I feel like some of these movies coming out. I I enjoyed everything that was in it. Just it felt I could feel the length towards the end of it from that standpoint. But uh, I am all for further exploring this world. Um, the way that it ends, you know, and we won't do any spoilers, but the way that it ends definitely leaves the door open for for more films. And yeah. we obviously have quite a large gap because i would argue this movie ended basically at the end of world war one um so right in there and our original movies started 
basically in present day. So even if you go when the first Kingsman came out, which was 2014, you got quite a bit of gap in time that right. you could explore. Um, do I think they'll explore all the time between those? No, but it wouldn't surprise me if we get at least one more movie, um, if not, you know, a couple more movies, um, because mean, you obviously could do things like going through the decades, a la like Austin Powers and things like that, um, which these movies always had a little bit of, if not just because you have kind of that British element to it. But a little bit, a little um, bit. But yeah, I enjoyed it. I don't think it was as funny as maybe the first two. Sure. Um, there wasn't as many laughs in it, uh, but I love Matthew Vaughn's way of of creating drama and, and the action sequences that he has. Uh, I think he does a great job filming fight sequences. And so all of that I was here for revisiting. Yeah, I was a big fan of it. I mean, apparently, like, this is just what Matthew Vaughn's doing right now. Like, his last few movies have been Kingsman movies, and they've all been solid action movies. He's making one, he's making one called Argyle right now that's got Henry Cavill and Sam Rockwell and Brian Cranston. So I'm excited to see him step out of the Kingsman world a little bit. But, like, I love that he's basically been like, I'm going to make these Kingsman movies. He's been on record as saying, and I don't know if this will um, stay this way, but like Taron Egerton has said, like he's coming back for a third one of the Eggsy movies. The plan is to start shooting, you know, later next year. Like Vaughn literally said this month that we're going to start filming next September. So like, cool. Go keep making them. Like, I, I just love that this movie exists. I, I think it's a solid action movie. I think, like you said, tonally, it's a little weird. Because there are some funny parts, but then there are just some deathly serious parts and stuff like that. And sometimes that tone can be difficult to manage. But I really enjoyed it. My popcorn rating for The Kingsman, again, solid movie theater, popcorn and a soda. Like, I think if you're looking for that mid-tier escapist uh, kind of action movie that has a solid amount of violence, like it's definitely an adult, you know, skewed action film, but it's still really fun. It's not dark or 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 moody or, or or doesn't mean adult means like, you know, super, uh, uh, you know, super Snyderverse, I guess. It's, it's the only thing I can think of. Like Matthew Vaughn's out here making these bright, vibrant, really fun action movies that are also really violent. So check it out. What uh, what popcorn rating would you give it? I'm going to give it a. Uh... I think I'm, I'm right there in line with you with movie theater, popcorn and a soda. Um, I enjoyed it. I, it's definitely not perfect by any regards, but um, as far as, you know, and we, and we talk about the difficulty sometimes judging based off of expectations and stuff like that. But sure. As far as like delivering on what I expected from this movie, like it delivered on that, on that. And like I said, it was a little less funny, but I think uh, a little bit, you know, maybe slightly more depth than, than maybe the first two um with the with the plot and and the storyline from that standpoint but again what i go to these movies for and what i expect from a kingsman movie would to be to have some of that action and and fun as well kind of that that balance that he plays between like these larger than life kind of eccentric characters uh combined with you know really good and well shot action scenes that I don't think are necessarily over the top. Like it's not bond. Well, and I 
should say probably more comparing to old bonds. Like it's not ridiculous in some of them, but there's obviously all, some of that like unrealistic ex, uh, aspects of it where it's like, yeah, well, that couldn't happen. Yeah. But it's it, it does a good job of balancing having some fun with that and doing some things that probably obviously are not possible, but also not making it seem so far fetched that it's distracting. So I enjoyed it. I think one thing that'll be interesting. Do you think uh, Matthew Vaughn will ever get a Bond movie? Well, I know he's talked about, you know, with the Kingsman coming out, he's talked about wanting to do a Bond movie and he's talked about wanting to do a Superman movie. Mm. And uh, I don't know, like with the way I mean, if you listen to our No Time to Die episode, like anything is possible for James Bond right now. So if they decide that they want to go into this kind of goofy, crazy action type of vibe, like they could do it. Sure. They could do it. Matthew Vaughn should be directing more things. But I like that he's just like, I'm going to make Kingsman movies like I <laughs> I like that. I like that. Yeah, I, I don't want to run the risk of losing him having the freedom to do his own weird stuff just so that he can direct other things, you know, um, go watch layer cake. If you haven't watched it, his first movie, his exactly. first. Direction. Exactly. So we'll see. Now, obviously, we took a little bit longer to go through our grab bag of movies. We're going to talk about the matrix, but we're going to do so. We're going to take a little break first. All right, David, the matrix. We're back in the matrix again. Uh, obviously this is spoiler free discussion, but I, I recently revisited the matrix trilogy. What do you remember about the matrix? What do you remember about the original movie, the trilogy, how how did you feel about them making a sequel? Because obviously, 1999, we're like, what, 13? Like, it is the most impressionable that we can possibly be. And The Matrix comes out and blows everybody's brains out the back of their heads. Where, where were you? I remember trying to save seats for my birthday to see The Matrix Reloaded. And, like, there were adults who were literally like, you know. You just it's not going to happen. I'll never forget that. But for you, like. Tell me about your relationship with the Matrix. Well, I think first and foremost, the first Matrix is really what the Matrix is to me from the standpoint of like it was just so different than anything that we had ever seen. The action was so different. You know, the introduction of kind of bullet time um, and that concept was something that obviously gets reused and has been seen in in plenty of other movies that follow. I don't remember any movies before that really leveraging that uh, concept. So there was that, there was the music of it. That's always memorable to me. That's not my, the soundtrack was not my taste in music necessarily, but like, (laughs) it's like burned into my memory. Like I know that soundtrack, like you can play basically anything that was in, the original matrix from that movie from a soundtrack standpoint. And I will remember it specifically associating it with the matrix, even though a lot of them were songs used in many other places. And a lot of them were songs that had been out prior to the matrix, but they are matrix songs to me. So I think those were two of the things, um, obviously just this, like this world that they created, um, was always distinctive to me. To me, I also, the franchise itself, to me, the memory is like basically starting at the peak and kind of taking 
a decent size step down each movie. Sure. Um, like for me, Matrix Reloaded was still good, but it wasn't great uh, for me. And then Revolutions was just, it was tough. And I know you have strong opinions. So you having them more fresh in your mind yeah. as, as you also uh, aired on uh, Twitter a little bit. I did. <laughs> I ran. I, I have not revisited Revolutions recently for good reason. I have seen, I feel like reloaded uh, not too long ago, but um, yeah, for me, it was all about like that original movie. I would have right. been fine knowing what I know about what I got in the second and third movie. I would have been fine with them never having been created <laughs> and just having the memory of the first one. That being said, I, I saw both of them in theaters. Yeah. I didn't hate I didn't hate my time. There's enough redeeming qualities of both from an action standpoint uh, to carry those. But like everything else besides the action, especially by the time you get to revolutions is just tough. Yeah. The, the first Matrix is a masterpiece. Like it's just a stone cold masterpiece. Your your mileage may vary on, you know, the metal, you know, type of music involved or the amount of leather or, you know, pvc in your wardrobe but the first matrix is just a masterpiece even even if i just recently watched it like it is it is an incredibly well-told story um that is just it's just revolutionary it is just there's no other way to put it the original matrix is a masterpiece um reloaded is dope like reloaded gets way up its own ass about you know dialogue and philosophical conversations you know there are like several long pieces of dialogue from the merovingian and the architect that like even though my vocabulary has expanded since then i still am just like <laughs> shut up like they're just using a thesaurus just for the the joy of it and then revolutions at the same time like goes full anime with some of its action which is like incredible like it is some of the action in that movie is incredible and it's ahead of its time the 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 real world zion fighting the you know the machines is is awesome it's goofy that they have these giant mech suits with these giant guns it's goofy that they are asking us to care about these characters that we've only just met um and shouldering like huge dramatic tension on these characters that we just met but it's still pretty cool and same thing with the, the fights in, uh, in Revolutions as well. The action in Reloaded is like the, the highway scene in Reloaded stands next to anything in the Matrix. Like it is a peak of action spectacle filmmaking. Uh, the highway scene in, in Reloaded is just five stars. Incredible. Um, and the stuff in, in Revolutions is still pretty good. The, the Neo and Smith fight at the end kind of showed us what live action superhero fights should look like. I think weirdly enough, I think Zack Snyder took a huge bunch of stuff, a huge amount from the matrix revolutions in terms of how Superman fights and the amount of damage that is caused when two super beings are fighting in a city, like that should all be commended as being ahead of its time. The thing that pisses me off about revolutions is the way that it ends the story at the, at the beginning of the matrix, you know, Morpheus is telling Neo, like you are a slave. You are being used without your knowledge, without against your will. 
And then revolutions all like boils down to Neo making a deal with the machines because Smith is growing out of control. And if you follow the analogy of slavery, which is what I did, which is maybe not what was intended. And I fully admit that. But like, if you follow the analogy of slavery, Neo is basically going to the slaveholders and being like, Hey, I'm going to take out this problem that you have so that you can still have slaves, but the ones that want to go, you're going to let go. And the slave owners are like, sure. Wink, wink. Like, yeah, no, that's a good deal. As if they would ever, you know, abide by that. Why would they, why would they logically abide by that? Right. And it ends with Neo sacrificing himself so that Smith can be destroyed and Zion is saved. But like, that's such a temporary win. Like that's such a surface level win because Zion is basically like the free slave outpost. You know, it's the free slave community. And so Neo's deal is like, okay, don't kill the free slaves. And it, it just seems like a bullshit deal. It seems really annoying, really frustrating that the one sacrifices himself for this bullshit deal. And then the movie ends with the matrix still existing and the architect and the Oracle having this conversation about, Oh, whether the slaves will be free or not. And it's like, can you imagine any movie about actual slavery ending that way? Like it's a bullshit ending. Um, you know, the funny thing is though, there are things and revisiting revolutions. There are things that actually make sense as we segue into talking about resurrections. There are things that that still track. So, for example, revolutions ends with like the little uh, Indian girl who is uh, in the in in the new one. Basically, she's played by. Uh, oh, God, now I'm blanking on it. She, she's in the new one and she's like created a sunrise and the Matrix doesn't look like the green, you know, uh, very clean, technological, emotionless matrix that we have seen in the previous three movies. Um, oh, it's uh, Priyanka Ch- Chopra Jonas uh, yeah. who plays uh, Sati. And so like in the new Matrix Resurrections, the Matrix doesn't look like the Matrix. And it's kind of the point in that this is a new version of the Matrix and stuff like that. So I hated the ending of Revolutions it made me way more appreciative of resurrections and it also made me uh, understand some of the aesthetic choices. It helped connect the story a little bit better because it certainly seems that a lot of people think the original matrix trilogy was just as good as the first matrix and they don't remember the little details. Um <laughs> How did you feel about going back into this version of the matrix? You and I have conversations about it. I tweeted on it. This movie is so interesting because it is a, not a good sequel to the matrix. Like I think objectively it is not as well made as any of those three movies. It doesn't have the singular vision on film. The cinematography is not as good. The fighting's not as good. The music's not as good. And yet, I think that's the point. So like this movie is so weird in that way, but 
How did you feel going back into the matrix coming out of this? Did you have expectations? You know, what was it going into resurrections? What was it like? Yeah. You know, I, I think I had somewhat low expectations for this film. Um, you know, I didn't read up a whole lot on it, obviously bringing back, um, Keanu obviously gave me some hope for it. You know, if, if this would have been a movie without Keanu and we were just revisiting the world of the matrix, I, I almost most definitely would have streamed it (laughs) from that (laughs) standpoint. Whereas, um, having Keanu in there, having Carrie Ann Moss back in there, you know, gave me some good hope that there would be some good connection as well as having, uh, Lena Wachowski direct it also gave me some, some help. And I know, right. you know, in the lead up and the development and the rumors of matrix coming back, you know, one of the things that the cast and the people involved in, if you read about it, were were steadfast on is that it wouldn't be right to do another matrix movie without the Wachowskis involved, um, given that they created this world and, and just, you can't have the matrix without them. And so from that standpoint, I had, I had some hope for it. I also was like, I don't have any clue what direction that we're going to go because it was clear. Obviously we couldn't just pick up right after what happened. You know, all the other ones pretty much happened shortly after the themselves. Um, so from that standpoint, I kind of had lower expectations because I'm like, it's pretty hard to reboot a movie or, or pick up after all this time. But I think, you know, as I watched it, I, I think I agree with you in that it's hard to tell what was done intentionally worse than the previous <laughs> films and what is done, what was just not as well made from that standpoint because because this movie is so and maybe it's not the right use of of the term but it felt so like meta to me throughout the movie that is the correct use (laughs) but it's so meta in the sense that like i said i don't know what is intentionally you know being not as good as the original and what is you know just maybe not as done as well and so from that standpoint, I think the easiest way I can explain it is probably 15, 20 minutes into the movie, I realized this is not going to be the movie that I thought it was going to be. Like, I don't know exactly what I was expecting, but I was expecting something similar to what we had seen previously. Right. Um, more kind of machines versus, you know, freed people uh, type of concept. Obviously, I knew we had to, you know, with the title like Resurrections, I knew we were going to have to resurrect someone. You don't call it Resurrections <laughs> if you're not going to resurrect someone. And sure, um, knowing how we ended with Neo and knowing that Carrie Ann Moss was in there, you had to have some idea that they were being brought back into the fold. And so it definitely was not what I expected. I don't think that's necessarily a situation where it was bad because it didn't meet expectations. This was very much like what I came in expecting from this movie and what I got was very different. And yeah, I think I, I, I think I enjoyed it taking it another direction, but we, we sat there for a little while after the movie and it was like, I don't know what I think of this movie. Like, right. 
I watched this movie and I paid close attention and I know everything that happened and I can remember the scenes, but I, my brain hasn't caught up to what I actually think is this movie good or bad or somewhere in the middle. Well, and the biggest thing is, and you brought this up is the fact that the Wachowskis and particularly Lana, um, are way too smart to just make something lazy. Like they are very purposeful storytellers. They are storytellers who have gone through, you know, the, the idea of being trans and, and transitioning from male to female. Like they, both of them are characters who have gone through this journey or both characters, excuse me, people (laughs) who have gone through, I mean, they are very big characters themselves. You know, they are very singularly, um, in terms of visual and in terms of storytelling, they are very singularly voiced in terms of who they are. But I just think that the Wachowskis in general are too smart to make something bad without doing it with a purpose, right? Even their worst movies like Jupiter Ascending are bad because they took big swings, big, big cheesy swings that still have some really good parts in it, but like the world isn't ready for Channing Tatum to play like a dog person. That's very weird. Or Cloud Atlas, which I loved, but even I can recognize is kind of insane in the way that they tried to tell six different stories featuring all of the same actors, sometimes in yellow face, which is not good, you know, all to tell this story about how, you know, love exists through generations regardless of stature or color or creed or who you are and so like as i'm sitting there being like well this action kind of sucks or well this is kind of stupid and bland like the one thing the wachowskis are not are stupid and bland and it has it has been well documented that Warner Brothers wanted to make more Matrix movies and the Wachowskis were like, no, we're not going to make them. And it got to the point where Warner Brothers was like, fine, we're going to make them without you. And they were going to bring Michael B. Jordan in and have that be, you know, whatever. And it seems like Lana Wachowski is like, fine, screw it. I'll come back. And they, she kind of used that to basically make a movie that's like, I hate myself for existing. Sequels are dumb. Rehashing IP is dumb. Um, rehashing stories and you know being a huge fan of stories and missing the point of these stories is dumb like they do all of that like this movie quite literally the first few minutes of this movie which you can watch on HBO Max right now is a a redo of a scene from the Matrix that has a new character commenting on it behind the scenes like wait this isn't how it's supposed to go and and whatever and like if that isn't a commentary on the way fans have a relationship with the with the media they love like I don't know what is and so that's the crazy thing about it is that I just think that they every choice that they made for this movie I think is on purpose and does that make this an incredibly um, intelligent movie that is something that can stimulate your brain and make you think more about it I think yes and I think that it does that at the risk of being like emotionally satisfying which it talks about in the movie, you know? So it's like, it's crazy, man. The fact that I know I said this about the Kingsman, but the fact that this movie exists in the way that it does is crazy to me. The fact that 
it spends as much time crapping on the actual original matrix and crapping on all of the way that people have tried to take ownership of concepts of the matrix, which we'll talk about more in spoilers. Um, it's, it's insane to me. And I think my favorite part is that if you read the reactions, this movie is either terrible trash or a masterpiece. And when that happens, when there is a, such a large divide, when a movie is polarizing in that way, I tend to lean towards it's actually closer to a masterpiece than it is trash. If a movie is just in the middle, if everybody was just like, oh, actually, this is kind of crappy and not good. Um, I think you, you run that, that difficulty a little bit more. You, it, it, runs, it, it runs the risk of being actually kind of crappy. Um, I just, I, I don't know. It's just such a hard movie to talk about without spoilers. So probably we should talk more about spoilers. Uh, but before we do, let's do our popcorn rating. What's that noise? Popcorn. You making popcorn? Uh-huh. I only eat popcorn at the movies. All right. If you've never listened to an episode of the podcast before, we do our ratings a little bit differently. Uh, rather than stars or thumbs up, we do popcorn ratings. Burnt popcorn means a movie is trash. Don't waste your time. Don't bother. It's burnt popcorn. Get rid of it. Stale popcorn means it's not great. In a pinch, if you absolutely have to, go for it, but it's not great. It's stale popcorn. Microwave popcorn means it's in the middle. Your mileage may vary. Some people really like microwave popcorn. Some people don't like microwave popcorn, and, uh, and it's in the middle. You might like it. It's fine. Movie theater popcorn is... It's great. It's good. You should go see it in a movie theater. You should go see it on a big screen. Uh, invest the time to go see it in a movie theater. And then perfect popcorn is go see this movie as soon as possible on the biggest screen that you can as safely as possible. And if we're ever in the middle at any of those, we always throw a soda in there at the middle. So this almost feels like a, an impossible movie to give a popcorn rating to because based on our conversation, it is the definition of microwave popcorn. I think your relationship to the original Matrix impacts how you're going to see this movie. I think your relationship and your ability to look deeper beyond the things like aesthetics or what the story is actually trying to say is going to affect your enjoyment of this movie. In a way, I think this is maybe the most artistic, like because art is subjective. That's the way art is, right? Some people might look at a painting and they might say, that's a good painting. I love it. Some people might look at it and say, that's bad. Some people might look at it and say, I hate it. It makes me angry. Some people may look at it and say, I love it. This, this makes my soul sing. I honestly think that's what this movie is. Um, I tend to lean more towards this is movie theater popcorn and a soda personally, but it's hard not to say that it's the picture definition of microwave popcorn. What about you? What kind of popcorn rating do you think the Matrix Resurrections gets? Uh, for me, it's a it's a movie theater popcorn. It's one of those things where, again, even to this day, I don't know that I have a a true sense of what I exactly have wrapped my mind around thinking of this movie. But I know I enjoyed enjoyed my time in the movie theater. I'm glad I saw it in the theater. 
you say the matrix and it's just something that to me that needs to be watched on a big screen, at least the first time. So I'm glad I saw it. I 100% would do it again. Um, but at the same time, there's enough question marks and there's a, there's, there's some things that it didn't have in there that I was expecting that I know that we'll get into a little bit more as we get into spoilers, but, um, I enjoyed it. And like, and like you said, if, if you enjoyed the original matrix movies, uh, I do think you'll still enjoy this one. Maybe not as much. Um, if you enjoyed revolutions, then I think you should enjoy this because (laughs) (laughs) I think it's, I think it's better than revolutions, uh, in a lot of aspects of it. Um, like you said, there's some really good action in revolutions, but, um, I think in the end, I enjoyed that we didn't just try and pick up where we left off and, and tell another story in the same vein. I like that. We took a different spin. And, and like you said, it was, it was really well thought out, even if it didn't work perfectly on screen, you can definitely see all the thought and, and effort put into, okay, we're re we're bringing this back after all this years, all these years, we have, we can't just like act like nothing happened or, you know, <laughs> there hasn't been 20 years of time almost. Right. Well, it's, as you said, if you enjoyed philosophical questions of the matrix, if you enjoyed the discussions on what it means to be human, what it means to be living in reality, what it means to be free if you enjoyed those types of conversations about fate and what is meant to be, I think there's a lot in here for you to enjoy. I think if you like the Matrix movies because of the cool gunfights and because everybody wore black trench coats and because the music was dope and because you bought the same pair of sunglasses and decided to wear all black for a year, you you might have a harder time with this. I think the people who really latched onto the Matrix on a surface level are the ones having a real hard time with this. The people who are only focused on the look and the feel and the coolness of what the original Matrix was are the ones that are having a hard time with this. But the ones who are willing to kind of examine art a little bit more and think a little bit more deeply and use that type of critical thinking will get more out of it. Um, and the worst part is that the, the people, the, 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 the former oftentimes outright reject the latter. The former are just like, why overthink it? It's supposed to be cool. It's not cool. Therefore, it sucks. And it's just real interesting. Um, And we're going to have to talk more about it it in spoilers. But before we do spoilers, we're going to take one more quick break. What's up, good movie buddies? Before we continue, I want to remind everyone that you can get free episodes of The Popcorn Diet delivered to you just by hitting the subscribe button or following us wherever you're listening from. So take a second, hit the button, give us a rating, write us a review, share us with the other good movie buddies out there. We also want to remind you to check us out on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet and consider becoming a patron of this little independent movie podcast filled with love. Not only is it going to help us improve the podcast, keep the podcast going, but it's also going to give you exclusive patron-only access to things like early episodes, franchise refills episodes, and more. So check that out by going to patreon.com slash thepopcorndiet. Of course, 
We don't want you to forget that you can also follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram at The Popcorn Diet. And last but certainly not least, you can find all of our latest regular episodes, articles, and more on our website, PopcornDietPodcast.com. Let's get back to it. All right, David, spoilers. I don't even know where to start with the Matrix Resurrections. Uh, I think... I mean, I honestly don't know where to start. I think the first, you know, you were talking about the first 30 minutes or so where it's established that Keanu Reeves is Thomas Anderson again. He is a successful video game developer. He has created a trilogy of video games called The Matrix. Smith is now his business partner and their parent company, Warner Brothers, is wanting them to make a crappy sequel to the to the video game trilogy and they say that they're going to make it with or without us i mean that quite literally feels like lana wachowski just like the call is coming from inside the house like pissed off that i even have to be doing this how did you read that i think I think for me, I didn't necessarily read it as like necessarily Lana's own commentary on her being involved in this again, as much as like the idea of like, okay, we have something so great in the Matrix, maybe not necessarily the Matrix trilogy, but the Matrix in general. And after all these years and all this success and how much people looked upon it, we're going to do another one. Why? We're not really sure (laughs) other than to make money, but we're going to do it again. And that could easily be people's view of why we're getting a fourth matrix. And maybe it even is the reason why we're getting a fourth matrix. So it definitely felt like commentary on this movie itself. Just, I'm not sure if it's necessarily like, that I would classify it as her viewpoint on it as much as maybe like, I'm sure this is what all you guys are thinking. Like (laughs) we're going to make a fourth one. That's not anywhere near as good as the original just because we can and it will make money. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it it, it is a, a sequel that seems again, that seems angry at its own existence. Um, you know, one of the big things, and and I'm gonna try not to get too political on here, you know, because that's not what this is. That's not what this web this, this podcast is about. But like one of the things that we have seen that is well documented uh, uh, on the internet is this idea of quote unquote red pilling, and the idea that in the Matrix you take the red pill to wake up from the simulation and you become more enlightened and you become a free thinker. And over the 20 plus years, the matrix has existed. It, that entire concept has been taken over by bad faith actors who latch on to some tiny, tiny bit of resemblance to their own philosophy and then try to claim ownership of it. You know, Um, there was an entire subreddit called, you know, the red pill or red pilling. I can't remember what it was. That was just men's rights activists and anti-feminists and incels. And 
the whole term red pilling was taken over by men's rights activists to describe waking waking up to the idea that feminism is destroying the world and that you know the the beta males and the feminist women are are you know ruining the concept of masculinity which allow me to editorialize for one second is bullshit um or the fact that like Elon Musk is out there saying like take the red pill and then Ivanka Trump says taken and then Lily Wachowski says fuck you both all on Twitter like there's nothing more evident that people are completely misunderstanding the purpose of art when the original creator just says F you on the biggest public forum possible. And this movie makes a big effort to talk about how it's, it's not just a binary choice. You know, it's not just taking the pill. You know, there are a lot of, there are a lot of factors that go into, you know, deciding to quote unquote, wake up or not. Um, And there were huge stretches where, this movie straight up makes fun of the people who are only able to see it for the surface level for Republicans who can only see it as a red pill. Oh, it's red. Therefore Republican. Like this movie has an entire sequence of, I don't know what they are. Video game developers like shooting around like, oh, what did people think about the Matrix? Oh, it's got to be cool. It's got to be bullet time. It's got to be like and there and these people are played as fools in the movie. These people are played as fools who are incapable of grasping the concept of what the Matrix truly means. The idea of freedom, the idea of breaking out of social normalities and constructs that existed for decades and decades and decades in an effort to make a change, you know? And I just think it's fascinating that this movie decides to take shots like that. I just think that it's it's really interesting that this has a... Is Christina Ricci's in this movie for like three minutes as a uh, focus group leader Who's literally like, here's what people think the Matrix are is. What how did you what did you think about that? What did you think about like the um I don't know what the word is, the 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 clapping back at, at some of the way, or did you even read that? Where are you you're not as big on the Reddits as I am, you're not as big on the social medias as I am. So maybe that's, no, maybe that's my why my uh mental health is in a better uh that's spot. why you're yeah because you're taking the blue pill man <laughs> um well i you know listen it it definitely definitely obviously takes commentary and takes um you know shots at the different ways that the matrix is viewed um and i think there's definitely a lot of probably lana wachowski you know basically clapping back at you know the way that the matrix has been evolved into like what it is and what the legacy of that movie is like for some people the legacy of the matrix is just the bullet time you know the thing that i take issue a little bit with getting upset about that is is like you said that it is art like just because i don't take away from your art what you intend it to be doesn't mean i'm wrong that i'm miss and maybe 
maybe you'll counter to me that like I'm misunderstanding this. Obviously, jumping on things and being like the red pill is Republican and things like that is is obnoxious and silly. But, you know, if if what I enjoyed the most and what I took away from the Matrix is like the way they did action in the bullet time, like there's nothing wrong with that. Like that can be what I enjoyed from the movie. But I think you know, some of this felt like it was a little bit of like, like you said, kind of a shot at like the way that the legacy of the matrix itself has been taken. Um, and I do think there could be potentially some of her, you know, anger or frustration or that, because like, it's been documented that like neither of the Wachowskis wanted to do this movie for years and years. Like they had tons of offers. Warner brothers threw money at them to do it. Um, who knows, maybe even the reason some of their other Warner brothers projects that turned out to not be great were greenlit was, you know, on the hope of, you know, them coming around to another matrix movie, but regardless, it did feel like based off of Lily Wachowski, not being involved in this one and all of the cast basically saying like, you have to have a Wachowski in this it did feel kind of like potentially this was a situation where it was like, listen, you come back and direct this and be involved or we're going to do it. And someone else is going to be basically getting involved in your legacy. And so do you want this in the hands? Like I could easily see that being the pitch of like, listen, you can do this and have a say in what the fourth installment and what the continued legacy of the matrix looks like, or you can continue to refuse and we'll do it. It's our, it's our IP and we will have someone else do it and they probably won't do as good of job and you may not appreciate it, but you had your chance. And so I could definitely see some of that coming out into what they did in this movie. Well, and to your point, you know, as you said before, art is subjective, right? So you can get out of it, whatever you want to get out of it, where I take issue is with when people start trying to claim ownership and then, get indignant or act out when they don't get that thing. Right. Which I think is what this movie is existing as a commentary for. Like this movie doesn't give you the bullet time that not only does it not give you the bullet time, it actively uses it against the heroes. It doesn't give you the same aesthetic that the original matrix does. It doesn't give you the same choreography. It doesn't give you the same look or the same feel. And there are story reasons for that. Like there is a story reason as at the end of Revolutions, Sati designed a different matrix, that there was going to be a different version of the matrix. And naturally, it would be different than that version that we saw. Naturally, it would be more about a little bit more realism. You know, the matrix original trilogy famously never said what city it was set in. It was always just some fake metropolis, right? This is very clearly set in San Francisco. Like there are very clear decisions that are made that have to be purposefully made. And my issue is not with those who are like, well, it just didn't work for me. It's the people out there who are actively like, this is bullshit. This is wrong. I'm angry about it. And I'm going to blah, blah, blah about it because it's not what they wanted. Right. The idea of commercial art is if it's not what you want, then you don't watch it. But there are oftentimes people who, if it's not what they want, They're now trying to use mechanisms in the world to get what they want, whether it be brigading reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, whether it be creating change.org petitions 
to remake the last season of Game of Thrones. People have been incredibly entitled, incredibly emotionally uh, entwined with these stories that are being told. And I think this movie has something interesting to say about it, which is to say, like, this movie is basically like F you, you know, to those people in some way, shape or form. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, like I mentioned before, the fighting is almost bad in this movie. Like the action sequences are almost bad in this movie. Um, there is a shitload of talking and dialogue scenes and stuff like that. The problem is, is like those are very clearly not very good. Like objectively, the action is not very good in this movie. There's some cool parts. You know, the fight between Morpheus and Neo is still cool. Is it as cool as their original? No. There are some parts in that final sequence where they got people jumping out of buildings and they're, you know, dodging rockets and blowing up helicopters. I'm like, that's pretty cool. But it never reached the the adrenaline rush of like the the, the highway sequence of Reloaded. You and I both tend, we, we trend to the side of we like this movie. In your opinion, how do you justify those things that are clearly not that good, right? We kind of talked about it in spoiler free, but like to me, it is that all seems to be kind of the point on the meta level of the story, what the story is trying to tell in terms of, you know, remakes and doing things over again. How did you how did you separate the fact that those things are clearly not very good from your enjoyment of the film? I think because I think the reason I enjoyed it was because the way it took the story and I would say even, you know, the reason I mentioned if you liked revolutions that you would enjoy this one is because revolutions clearly has very large issues with the storyline, in my opinion, and, and, where we end with characters whereas this one i feel like it does a little bit of repair to that in the sense of not necessarily taking away the decisions that were made in revolutions but like getting back to things that seem more in line with you know what we would have expected from neo and some of these other characters the decisions that they make you know and you know it did turn into almost to some degree in a lot of ways, a, a love story. Um, and I think because it was a love story, it wasn't this like us against the machines. It was more like basically to me, like it boiled down to like Neo wanting to get back to Trinity. Right. And while there was other things that were at work and other things contributing, like that was, you know, the largest meat of the storyline. And there was other fun things around it. You know, whether it be, uh, is it Jonathan Groff? Yeah. Um, his Smith. Smith, his Smith character, um, and kind of the variances in that dynamic between him and Neo, you know, even somewhat working together to some degree at one point, you know, the introduction of Neil Patrick Harris's character, um, all of that, like basically just another architect. Like he's the one that designed this version of the matrix. He's yep. the one that discovered that keeping Neo and Trinity close, but but still apart generates the most power. Like he's the one who is still finding ways 
to keep people emotionally basically keep people docile and keep them from breaking out of the matrix. And by making it a hallucination in Thomas Anderson said that like, this is a, a creation of my own. He's kind of trying to keep it as a closed system, which I thought was really clever. Yeah. So that's where I think it worked for me. Um, because the story was creative. It was not, you know, like I said, it was not up to what my expectations were of how we were going to revisit and come back to this world. And so I think from that standpoint, uh, I enjoyed it. I also think the performances were, were great. Uh, yeah. Across the board. Like I really enjoyed everybody that was added to this franchise. I already mentioned, you know, Jonathan Groff, but, um Groff is great he's a he's a great new version of Smith Yaya was was fantastic as is kind of this different uh Morpheus character Uh uh-huh which was new Morpheus Jessica Jessica Henwick it's Bugs was really fun even though the movie kind of forgets her in the last 20 minutes yeah I didn't necessarily need Jada Pinkett to still be around and involved in this but right but the Wachowski Wachowski, like we got to put somebody in old old age makeup Exactly. So, I mean, and it established that connection back to Zion. Otherwise, that place could have been technically anywhere. It didn't have to be Zion. It could have been any uh, other well, place. So it's it's Io, you know, and it, yeah, it's Io. You know, but one of the things that I have seen is that one. And again, this is an interesting concept, and this carries over from revolutions that the that the machines are actually slave owners. One of the things that this movie mentions that I would actually love to watch an entire movie about is the fact that there was essentially a machine civil war that Neo actually woke up some of the machines to recognize that, like, this enslavement is bad. Right. That's super interesting to me. I love that idea, especially since it carries that that theme of like slaves and slave owners over, even though I'm probably grasping onto that way more than they intended it to. Like, I still think that that would have been interesting to see as an entire movie. But I'll say one of the and this is just another thing where I've seen. Some real bad takes on this movie is that some of the the good guys now have good guy robots, right? Where Morpheus is a program who can be generated in the real real world via not quite nanotechnology, but like close to nanotechnology. There's like a tiny little robot that a guy fist bumps. There's like a tiny, there's like a robot that looks like a a dragon from how to train your dragon and stuff like that. And one of the things that I've seen is like, this is dumb. They're clearly making these to make toys. Here's the problem with that. There's no toys for this movie. There are. Uh, And and there's not going to be any kids going to, (laughs) I mean, not not that adults don't, don't buy toys, but like, no adult's going to be like, oh, I want that little <laughs> machine exactly. that fist bumps him. Like, again, it's a fundamental misunderstanding of who the Wachowskis are as storytellers. Like the Wachowskis, for all their great, for, for everything they try to do as storytellers, for all their faults, they are earnest. They are oftentimes very cheesy when it comes to some of the concepts that they're trying to, to talk about. And Friendly robots definitely come off as cheesy, but like there, there is not a toy line for the Matrix Resurrections. It's just one just doesn't exist. There's a couple of Funko Pops for, you know, the main people for 
Neo, Morpheus, Trinity, Bugs, and that's it. And there's not a lot of people who are trying to buy toys for this movie. There's I Googled it. I Googled Matrix Resurrections toys. There's a couple of Funko Pops. That's it. So that is one of the things that frustrates me when when people critique this movie is that while you are and what you said before is art is subjective. People can like things and not like things for all different types of reasons. And that's perfectly fine. When somebody doesn't like something and then offers what I feel to be a bullshit like reasoning behind it, I feel like I have a responsibility to call that out. Like, oh, these are dumb because they're clearly there to make toys. That, does, that doesn't make any sense. If you think they're dumb, just they're dumb. You didn't buy the cheesiness of it, but they're clearly not here to make toys. So whatever type of rationale you want to put behind that, I just is, was wrong. It was just incorrect. Um, and again, like, I think at the risk of turning this into a philosophical you know, conversation and going any longer than we already have. We already talked about what was bad. We already talked about the action wasn't nearly as good as the first Matrix. There's a lot of talking. The music isn't nearly as revolutionary. The cinematography, the art direction, everything except for like Yai, uh, Morpheus's clothing, which is like top tier costume design, <laughs> wasn't nearly as good. And again, I think that's the point. And you have to be willing to think a little bit deeper about something. And you have to be willing to push past your own emotional experience with the gunfights weren't as cool to ask yourself, is it out of the question that Lana Wachowski saw that Warner Brothers were going to make something out of the Matrix anyways, decided to come back, make half a movie that hates its own existence and shits on reboots and sequels, and then make the other half be a, a sequel that quite literally is not as good as the original all for the purpose of saying that that is what this matrix is trying to do. That blockbuster regurgitation is actually bad for us because it ties into our emotional responses and doesn't require us to think more as people. Is that out of the question? I say no, like I don't think that's out of the question. So I don't know what your thoughts are on that. But the fact that this movie exists, I just, again, I'm very happy that this movie exists. Yeah, and I think it'll be interesting. I mean, there's there's rumors that there may be a, another one. Um, there's rumors, would... and yet there's also, like, counter rumors. Like, there's rumors yeah. that, that this is going to start a whole new sequel. And then there are people who are like, there are no new sequel plans or anything like that. Yeah, and that's and that's the thing is I think that also is a commentary on where we're at with movies in general, especially franchises, like to bring something like the matrix back after all these years, just to have this movie that doesn't really do much other than bring back Neo and Trinity and have kind of this love story between them. Like there's not any like bigger storyline necessarily significantly moved along. Um, in my opinion, uh, so like, I think we're just naturally programmed <laughs> in that regard to think like, oh, they're bringing it back. That means they're going to bring back. It's going to be more than, you know, it's going to be another trilogy they're going to do, or they're going to expand this universe. They're going to kick this off with like the new Morpheus and these new characters. Like we're just so, you know, programmed to think that way, this way that 
they couldn't just be bringing this back just to do a single additional movie like this has got to be part of some bigger plan and the fact of the matter is is some of that's Kevin Feige's fault in the sense that you know we're we've gotten to this mind with Marvel where like everything is done with a purpose and part of some big scheme of of release where not every franchise and not every studio is run the same way sometimes they do just take the next random idea and release the movie and that's it like there's no plans for after that so i do think it's it'll be interesting to watch i don't think this movie is going to go like bonkers at the box office you know it hasn't thus far um it's done well but it hasn't like gone nuts i mean it was a big budget it was 190 million as you'd expect from a matrix movie it's made yeah. just under 70 i think so far right so like but, that I've... but traditional box office can't be trusted as a successful True. metric anymore when netflix is over here saying like our biggest movie got x amount of hours viewed well like, and it doesn't and, mean and what to, it used to well and to that point it wasn't one of those we're going to put it in theaters and then stream it three weeks later i mean you could stream it day one just like you could go to the theaters and yeah it was day so and that day. obviously takes a significant impact out of opening box office so for it to be at 70 is is pretty good i think for something that opened up in both places that being said what's warner brothers and what's you know that going what's their view going to be on that about whether it's worth to pursue obviously one could argue that it would be easy to pursue as a streaming thing but can you pull off a matrix for a more affordable number like this was 190 million like you're not going to do 190 million probably for just you know a streaming movie maybe you will i mean we've had some big budget streaming movies thus far sure um and it's the matrix i mean the matrix was one of the biggest it was the it was the biggest you know but I mean, they made the original Matrix for sixty-three million. Granted, sure. that was well, and they made John Wick for like the last John Wick was seventy-five. Sure. So like it's possible to, but again, they didn't. John Wick has significantly less flying. Yes. <laughs> well, regardless, I, I, and I don't know if you have any final words on it. I just like that this. I know I've said this already. I like that this exists. I like that we can have this weird conversation about it. I would be fascinated in continuing the story, although this story doesn't seem to be interested in necessarily ending the Matrix anymore. Like you said, like this was a love story. And this movie ends with them basically going to the analyst and saying, like, you step out of line and we're going to you know, wreck your shit. What does that mean for everybody else who's still coded into the Matrix? I don't know. Yeah. But would you would you see more? I would see more for sure. I think it's something where like much like the actors have said, like I would only be interested in it being continued by the Wachowskis in some form. Right. Because to me, like even if you got someone who's really smart, really inventive, you know, even someone that like one could say is like the next Wachowskis or that, like, I'm just like, we don't need to like, this is, this feels one and the same, like they feel synonymous together. And so it would feel weird to me to step outside of that. Would I still see it? Of course, you and I see everything um, to a large degree, but I would only really be interested if we continue to see 
their vision for it and their vision for continuing to evolve it because they're weird. They're <laughs> that the best part of the matrix was the conversations that it created. And, and that would be my favorite part of this movie too. Like you said, is the, the dialogue that it created. And that was what was so fun about the original matrix. In addition right. to like the cool action and things that you got was like just this world that they created that you felt like, people had different perspectives and thoughts on in that. And so I think it was fun to explore that world. And I think if they continue to want to develop that, like you said, whether it be like the machine civil war and that dynamic that they introduced in this movie um, and kind of two different factions of the machines. Um, like, I think those are interesting ideas and, and in the hands of the Wachowskis, I would trust it. But otherwise I'm also perfectly fine with this being the end of the matrix. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's uh, definitely a very interesting. Um, <laughs> it's a very interesting place to be with the Matrix, but we got this one. I think it's, I think it's going to lead to a lot of continuing conversation. I think there's going to be a lot of really interesting points on this. Um, but again, like, I'm amazed that this is one of the movies that ended the year. I think it's fantastic. I think it really gets you to think a little bit more about it. Um, and I'm glad that exists and that is going to do it. But before we go, I want to remind you all again that you can get free episodes of the popcorn diet sent to you just by hitting the subscribe button, hitting that follow button, take a second, hit the button, give us a rating, write us a review and share us with your other good movie buddies. Also, we don't want you to forget to check us out on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet and consider supporting an independent film podcast at a time when film desperately needs our support right now. That's patreon.com slash the popcorn diet. Of course, we don't want you to forget that you can follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram at the popcorn diet. And last, but certainly not least, you can find all of our latest regular episodes, articles, and more on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. But for the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn, I am your very best good movie buddy, Rick Williamson. And we'll see you next time with another good movie on the Popcorn Diet. Adios.